This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and also we're going to be running through Ryan Scott's top 10 movies of 2023. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office expert, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ryan. Welcome back. How was your holiday season? Uh, good. Uh, I, uh, I, I didn't take as much time off as some other folks, but I definitely had some extra time off there. And, uh, the, if you do this job long enough, um, when Christmas falls the way that it fell this year, the week, like after Christmas and before New Year's is about the most dead, like it can possibly be if you cover the entertainment beat because no news is happening whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a bit of a slow week, but, uh, it was great, man. I, I got to, uh, my girlfriend came home with me for Christmas for the first time, so that was really neat. Spent time with the family and all that good jazz. It was wonderful. Excellent, excellent. How yeah, I, I didn't do any traveling or anything like that. Um, my family is very close. My wife's family is also very close, like lives very close to me. So we were just bouncing back and forth between their houses and doing our own thing on New Year's. And um, yeah, it was it was very like quiet and chill and like just the way I like to spend uh, spend some time off a little bit, rejuvenating and, and all that good stuff. So. Um, okay, Let, Ryan, we have a, a lot to talk about today. Uh, I, I want to use today, I, I think my plan right now is to use the next few days to present the top 10 films of 2023 from a bunch of contributors to Slash Film Daily. And you're up first, Ryan, and we're going to do that in the back half of the show. But I want to spend the first half of today's episode trying to do like a rapid fire catch up of some of the stuff that we've missed over the time that, that I've been out anyway. Um, there are so many things that we just like straight up don't have time to get into. Like Tom Wilkinson, the actor passed away. Um, Lee Sun Kyun, the actor from uh, Parasite, he played the patriarch in that movie, also died. Uh, Scream 7 has lost its director. Christopher Landon is no longer directing that movie. Um, I'm going to put links to those in the show notes so you can read more about them. But uh, Ryan, as, as, is often the case with you. Uh, we talk about box office stuff a lot. So I figured there's a lot that we have to catch up on because there was a lot of, uh, I, we talked previously right before the big break about, um, let's see, we talked about Warner brothers releasing these three movies, right? Aquaman and the lost kingdom, the color purple and Wonka. And I'm curious how they all sort of shook out and performed in their, um, opening stretches there. So tell me about what happened, uh, in, in the box office over this time that I was gone, Ryan. Yeah, so I guess let's go ahead and kind of go with like, 
you know, this most recent weekend, then we'll kind of walk back where things stand. So I will as quickly as I can, because the, the interesting thing right now is that we have like, what is it? Eight or nine new ish movies in theaters, like at once, like, and this is not, this doesn't happen very often. And so uh, particularly now, like post pandemic, this used to, you know, pre pandemic, this used to happen a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so one thing everyone was worried about heading into the holiday season this year is that, you know, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom looked like it wasn't going to make nearly as much money as the first one did. That's proved to be true. So everyone was like, well, it, are we going to be able to have a good holiday season this year at the box office? You know, because, uh, you know, 2022, you had Aquaman, uh, you had um, Avatar The Way of Water. 2021, you had Spider-Man No Way Home. But what happened this year is because we had all these new movies out and people still wanted to go to the movies and they had choices, the 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 final weekend of the year of 2023 was actually bigger than the final weekend of 2022, despite the fact that you didn't have an outright gigantic blockbuster. Wow, that's interesting. So uh, just per the numbers tallying, and let's, you know, this isn't like fully official, but the numbers had the final weekend of this year at 110.2 million, whereas the, the, the final frame last year was 103.1 million. And that was led by Avatar, which made 67.4 million in its third weekend. Whereas this weekend, the top uh, movie made 22.6 million. And that movie hmm. was Wonka. So what you're looking at is there was a much bigger spread. So uh, speaking of Wonka, just to start, uh, this movie has become a big, big hit. Uh, it is now uh, standing at $384 million worldwide already. Um, people are going to see this thing. And even with a $125 million budget, they look real smart for this one. Um, that's more than most every superhero movie that released last year. So yeah. uh, that's pretty damn good. Um, so I guess that's for starters. Wonka is kind of the savior of the uh, holiday season, really, if there is one. I mean, that's so surprising, right? Because like when that trailer came out, the negative reaction that I saw to that, and even that I sort of like experienced myself, like being like, oh, geez, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, like th- there was obviously the Paul King of it all, the director of the Paddington movies. He was the director of Wonka. And that was sort of always lingering in the background of like, maybe this thing might actually be better than it looks. Um, but there was so much conversation about like, do we really need a... Uh, you know, a young Wonka movie, like, does, is anybody going to care about this? Or is this just going to be, uh, you know, dead on arrival, basically, and to hear that it is the exact opposite of that. And it's like the savior of the holiday season is, um, is kind of incredible. So uh, congrats to Paul King and Timothy Chalamet and all the, the folks who worked on that movie for actually like pulling it off and making it something that's really, really satisfying for audiences. Well, yeah, I, I sort of blame, there's two things there. I think one is you and I tend to live in this weird little echo chamber of people that talk about this stuff. But as we're saying, we'll talk about this a little more with some of this other stuff in the top 10 here that the rest of the world just doesn't care. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they, they, they're like, oh, Willy Wonka, cool. Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, cool. Um, and also I think the person who, edited that trailer or the person at Warner brothers that approved that trailer. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think that was a bad trailer. Like I, but uh, cause the movie, I don't much care for musicals. I was in the camp of, I thought this did not look good. Um, and I thought it was good and, and I'm not even in the market for this. So, um, so what happened in the last weekend of the year, most of the movies that were released actually increased a lot from their prior weekend because the final weekend of the year saw a lot of movie going Aquaman and the lost kingdom was one of the only ones that declined. It dropped 34% made 18.2 million in its second full weekend. Um, it's currently at 255 worldwide, which is, you know, so it's not going to be a lot of people were looking at like this or the Marvels and a lot of, there was a lot of chatter about, Oh, I see everyone that was mad about the Marvels. Isn't mad about Aquaman and the lost kingdom. And it's, it's not an apples to apples situation. I, you know, uh, a thing with Aquaman coming out in December, it was always probably going to have longer legs um, but it's still, I mean, let's be clear. The first one made, you know, $1.1 billion. This one's going to get nowhere near that. It's not going to come close to covering the cost of that, you know, 200 plus million dollar budget. So, you know, I don't know. There's still a lot to be said about the superhero stuff, but that's a conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, moving quickly through the top five here, uh, migration, which is the latest from illumination. It was, uh, their first original movie in quite some time. I had a kind of rough opening weekend increased 37 percent uh over the uh new year's frame as i suspected this one might have some real legs uh it's at 105 million worldwide and i think this one might be able to pull like a puss in boots the last wish uh because there is not another family friendly animated movie till march with kung fu panda 4 
Wow. So I think so I think even though this one started slow, um, I, I think it's going to do okay. And the other I, the, the interesting thing, this is written by Mike White, the guy who created uh, the White Lotus, um, <laughs> which is like very crazy to me. But um, yeah, I mean, he's he's like known as a screenwriter for a long time. Like he wrote School of Rock all those years ago. So, yeah, and he's I mean, in he's, School of Rock. He's 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 a, a, a Jack Black's friend in School of Rock. Like he yep. he's acts a bit. But um, uh, okay. So then quickly uh, getting through the like I said the top. The other big one was the color purple, which. So this was one I wasn't super sure where the prospects stood. Warner Brothers released two musicals at the same time. You and I talked about this a couple weeks ago that like is Warner Brothers capitalizing it's uh, you know going to cannibalize itself and apparently mm-hmm. not. Uh, the Color Purple released on Christmas Day and it had a monster opening day. The 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 estimates were like maybe 8 9 million dollars which would have been good. It made 18.1 million dollars on Christmas Day alone. Wow. Now the problem has been since then. It has not quite lived up to that, um, but uh, it, uh, it so it made um, another eleven point seven million dollars over the New Year's frame. Uh, it is not released overseas yet, but it is at forty six point six million domestic. It's got a hundred million dollar budget, so it's got a long way to go. But I, I think that that this is one that the 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 word of mouth is good. There's there's not much coming out in January. This one has potential to leg out. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest increase of anything was anyone but you. The rom-com starring Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney increased 46% from the prior weekend. Again, this is another one that looked made like it might be DOA, but it made $8.7 million. Um, it is now at $33 million worldwide, $27 million of that coming domestically, $25 million budget. This is another one that might be surprisingly okay in the end. Yeah. Um, so a couple real quick ones uh, before we stop here. Uh, the the Boys in the Boat, uh, George Clooney's new movie, has similarly been drawing in audiences. $8.4 million worldwide on its first full weekend. Uh, released on Christmas Day. It's already at $24.8 million uh, domestic. And this is a movie I just don't hear a lot of people talking about. But it's yeah. one of those movies that's cutting through. And um, Now, the, the other really interesting one is The Iron Claw, which made $5 million um, A24's wrestling drama, it is dark, 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 but it is appealing to a certain audience that doesn't get catered to that much. It's got a $16 million budget. It's already made $16 million domestic. Uh, the word on it is very good. This might be in the Oscar conversation. I think this is going to be like a rare kind of actual breakthrough hit for A24 that isn't a horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's good. And uh, the last one I guess I'd like to talk about is Ferrari, which uh, Michael Mann's new movie, which I was very excited about. It made less than $4 million in its first full weekend. It's at 15, just shy of 16 million worldwide against a budget of at least $90 million. But I've seen figures in the $100 million range. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I don't want to call that one dead yet, but it, it's not looking great. Yeah, that's not ideal. I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts where people have been like, oh, man, I don't know. Is, is Michael Mann ever going to be able to make another movie again after that performance? And like the thing that I've, you know, the rumor that's been going around for a long time is that he's developing Heat 2, the, the book that he co-wrote, uh, I think that came out last year, um, as his potentially as his next movie. So I wonder, Ryan, if you think that like even though Ferrari did not open well and let's say will not perform you know, uh, up to expectations. Uh, if like the I, the prospect of Heat too, if if Heat as a movie looms so large in the culture now, that the prospect of Heat two might be enough for a studio. I, th- I think it's probably going to be Warner Brothers. Um, it would kind of have to be unless they're willing to to let it go. Yeah, if, if they would be enough, if that would be enough for them to like pony up however much he wants to get that movie made. It's not going to be a cheap movie and I, and I think that thing is he Michael Mann hasn't delivered an outright hit in a while and I I genuinely don't know. I, I have to look into this more. I don't really know how he got Ferrari financed at that level. Like, I liked it. I saw it. It's good, but I, I mean coming so quickly after Ford versus Ferrari, like, it... Because that movie actually made like 200 million worldwide. And I feel like is that was do people already feel like this was already done? Yeah. You know, and I think Ford versus Ferrari was definitely a little bit more of an audience friendly take on. I mean, uh, and obviously it was more Ford focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I again, I don't want to like start calling games too early, but I mean, I just don't know. I mean, this would need to make. I mean, probably close to 200 worldwide to even be considered and I just don't even see how it gets there. So 
I think that absolutely affects does heat to get made. And I, and I don't even know, like, I love heat. Like I worship at the altar of heat, but I have no idea if like at that, I, I was skeptical about that before Ferrari. And now I'm like, I don't know. Like, mm. I, I don't know if they're going to do it. Uh, I, I think he's going to push as hard as he can push to get it made, but I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Do you have any like attachment to that? Cause like heat's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I love it. And uh, I would love to see it happen. I just, I wonder if like, the Adam driver of it all. Not that he's necessarily like a huge, like, um, I don't know. He's not Dwayne, the rock Johnson in terms of like, uh, selling, you know, opening movies or whatever. Uh, he's uh, much unfortunately, more, unfortunately like... the evidence is starting to stack against him the other way. Like he's, <laughs> he's not, well, no, I love Adam driver and people like him, but he doesn't really like 65 didn't open very well. Variety. Yeah. Like he, he is starting to demonstrate. He can't really, op- which I think sucks. Cause Adam driver's great, but But maybe something like he too would, would be the thing that could turn it around for him. Um, But uh, I I think he's going to be okay. But I think as far as like you're to your point, he's not Dwayne Johnson. He can't open a movie because his name's on the poster. Yeah. It might help, but um, the the other only other thing I wanted to say about Ferrari uh, costing as much as it does. And I'm not sure about this, you know, Hollywood accounting is famously um, uh, not the most opaque thing, but uh, I know that Michael Mann has been trying to get this movie made for like 20 years. Yeah. This was a big project for him. Yeah. So like a lot of the cost could have been accrued, you know, over years and years of development and different writers and all the whole, you know, thing, the, the different casting permutations and like all the stuff that there could have been a lot of money spent along the way is what I'm saying. So I'm not sure uh, if that is all factored in or if that is if there's some sort of magical, you know, thing where they can wipe some of that away and and in their sort of um, shady accounting practices or whatever. But uh yeah, anyway, just something to consider. Yeah, there my only life. real hope would be that some of that is like maybe the budget we've heard is like, you know, before tax incentives or something. Like I, I don't know, but yeah. um anyway, yeah. So that that's uh, the only uh, the last real quick thing I would mention is that uh Godzilla minus one has continued to do well. Um it made another two point two million dollars. It is over eighty million worldwide, which makes it the highest grossing Japanese language Godzilla movie of all time. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's really cool. But yeah, point Um, being, we had a lot to talk about, and I'll just end the point on, I've talked a lot about counter-programming, we've talked a lot about this stuff. Most of these movies are not walking over each other, and I don't think Ferrari would have been a hit at any point on the calendar. So I think if this weekend taught us anything, is that studios should really look to like, let's fill up that calendar if we can. Yeah. So that's the the lesson I would say, but... That's about it. Um, Okay, so two more stories before we take a break. Um, I think the last conversation that we had was about uh, the box office in 2023 and whether or not that would make it to $9 billion. And I think the outlook was not good at that time. Um, But it did, in fact, top $9 billion overall uh, domestically, I think, right? Or is that international as well? Is that that, uh, global? Um, no, 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 that's a, no, no. If it was $9 billion worldwide, we would be uh, talking about the end of theatrical distribution as we know it. Um, <laughs> okay. Like, uh, yeah, we would be like, that would be, I mean, it literally would just crumble. Like there, it would be, it would crumble overnight. Like there was, so there, you can tell that I don't pay close, as close enough yeah. attention to this as you do, right? So no, that's um, fine. No, but just to be clear, <laughs> if we ever talk about $9 billion for the year, like the, the, like literally the, uh, a global industry is going to crumble. Like there's no, um, okay. So you're writing an article called 2023's box office top to 9 billion. Here's what that means for 2024. Ryan, tell me what that means for 2024. Well, so means is a bit, Interesting. So, so here's the thing. So we were, here's the first thing I'll say. It looked uh, around October, like, oh, $9 billion for sure, which just for the record, uh, 2022 finished at 7.3 billion, 2021 finished at 4.8 billion. Now those were recovery years after the pandemic. So we've been steadily going up, which is great. Now what we want to do is get back to a place where from 2009 to 2019, we were topping $10 billion every year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that gets you back to pre pandemic healthy levels. We're close to that. So, so it was up over 21%, you know, from the prior year. Great. Good stuff. We did that with out with a lot of superhero movies flopping. We did that with three movies that were not sequels topping the box office. We did that with a new year's frame that people thought was going to prevent us from getting to 9 billion yet without a breakaway hit, we got there because there were a lot of movies people went to go see. So there was a lot of encouraging things that got us to that $9 billion number mm-hmm. um, that sort of defied recent industry logic. 
now we, you and I have talked a lot that the, we did an entire episode that at least the first chunk of the 2024 release calendar is barren. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and a big th- thing is that, so 2022, just per box office mojos totals, these are not official, but 2022 had 498 movies counted toward that domestic total. 2023 had 584 movies counted toward that domestic total. 2019, when we hit a record 11.3 billion, that number was 910. Whoa. So, the point, so the, now I think those those recent numbers are not accounting for everything, but I think the the point here is that there are less movies being released in theaters. Yeah. And that is where a lot of that revenue is not being made up. Um, so my hope would be that heading into 2024, <clears throat> we saw that Pixar is going to re-release Soul, Luca, Turning Red. I'm hoping we get more anniversary releases. I'm hoping some of these movies that are maybe pegged to go to streaming, maybe studios start looking at the release calendar and go, all right, there's room for stuff. Let's let's. So I'm hoping the 2024 calendar fills out a bit. But I think what we're going to have to brace for is that we're going to have for the first year since the pandemic, we're going to have to brace for a decline mm-hmm. in, in domestic box office, which what, what you don't want to do is start because consumer habits are you can slowly retrain consumer habits like, hey, like, you know, let, let's entice you to go back to the movies because I still talk to friends all the time. I don't know how it is for you like that just don't go to the movies anymore. They're like, yeah. I used to. I don't now. And like, so you really want to get those people back. And what you can't do is take a step back. You can't start losing people that you started to get back. Mm-hmm. And so I'm worried that might happen in 2024 with less there to get people out. But so I don't know. I think what you're going to have to brace for is a down year. You're going to have to brace for, you know, theater chain struggling because there's the lack of product. And I don't know what that means for a debt laden AMC. I don't know what that means for Regal, whose parent company is dealing with bankruptcy. I don't know what that means for small chains like the Alamo Draft House. You know, I, I don't know what that means for studios and what Wall Street does in reaction to that. I don't yeah. know how that affects stream. Like, there's so much. This all trickles down. So it, it does that. What does that mean for the movies that are out there? Can some of them break out? Do people want to go to the movies badly enough where that gives other movies a chance? Like, you know, there's all there's all these moving parts that I'm curious to look at. Those are some of the questions I am looking at. You know, like, does that mean like the beekeeper weirdly gets a bump at the box office just because like people want to go to the movies? Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, like, I hope I'm, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm here. Just I, like, I, I'm not a great like prognosticator, but these are questions I'm thinking about. Like if anyone wants to sort of know, like these are things I'm probably going to talk about as the year heads on. That's what I'm looking at. And that's, yeah. I think, the biggest one for me is, OK, have we gotten to a point, especially after last year, where it's not just superhero stuff, where people just want to go to the movies? And like if something is interesting enough, be it a franchise or not, like are, are people still just going to look for reasons to go? That's my real hope. And that's kind of what I'm like, if I'm being optimistic, that's where I'm at. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, all that makes sense. Um, there's one more story that that I had here that we should probably talk about, but we're running low on time. So I'm just going to mention that Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount uh, are in talks or, or at least the CEOs of those companies met to potentially discuss a Warner Brothers uh, Paramount merger, which I think would be a an extraordinarily terrible thing for the industry. Um, you can write or you can read more about that uh, because Ryan wrote an article about it when that happened on, I think it was like December 20th or something. Um, so you can check that out uh, at the the link in the show notes. But, um, you know, I've, uh, I've listened to a lot of industry podcasts and, and read a lot of stuff and people seem to think that this is not necessarily like a slam dunk. So um, yeah, and there, I've there actually read like, Oh, I've read that it's less than a slam dunk that Paramount that some within Paramount might have already sort of kiboshed this already. But OK, you know, that, interesting. But, yeah. But, so like, you know, yeah. there, there's regulatory concerns. There's all sorts of things that, that would have to um, fall exactly into place for this to happen. So it's probably not going to be you know a, a done deal. But I, I would encourage you to read the article anyway, just to, to think about the possibilities of what this means. And like the larger point that you make in the, in the article, Ryan, which is that like, you know, some of these studios are not going to be or at least some of these companies, maybe not studios, but some of these companies are not going to be left standing. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to to sort of play the long game here. Um, so something is going to have to to change in order for these companies to be able to survive against titans like Netflix and Disney and, and you know, the, the big heavy hitters in the industry right now. So um, we'll see what, what all that turns into. But uh, yeah, I encourage people to, to read that. Okay, so let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about Ryan's top 10 films of 2023. All right, Ryan, let's get into it. Um, 
Do you want to present any caveats here before we get into your list? Why, thank you for setting that up, Ben. Um, <laughs> when you asked me to do this, I said, do I have to rank them? And I hate ranking stuff. And you said, yes. And I was like, all right. Because like I, I wrestled so even when we did like our end of year stuff and I had to contribute, I, I think what it was that like most years I have like a clear favorite where I'm like, this is my favorite movie. This year, everything, I'm looking at my top 20. That the, and so much of it is so bunched up. Like I loved so much of this stuff. So I have been switching around my ordering all day. I, so what I'm about to present to you, I might change this an hour from now. Right. But this is <laughs> roughly the t- the ten movies. And you know, I I just real quick, like I'm gonna throw an honorable mention to like Oppenheimer, which didn't make it. Uh, Bottoms, which was a great comedy that didn't make it. Transformers, Rise of the Beast, Dumb Money. Some of these great movies that didn't make it. But, you know, um, but yeah, so my, my 10 is real bunched up tight. I guess. Okay. Well, for the purposes of, of uh, organization on this podcast, I appreciate you um, forcing them into some sort of order, even <laughs> though it's, it's fluid and may end up changing. But uh, but let's you know commit this to the the annals of history for all time, uh, and and <laughs> you will never be able to change it, Ryan. Um, so tell me what your number ten is, starting well, right and, now. And and you know, as the world awaits my favorite movies, you know, let's let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, I I've been called the numbers guy on emails. Nobody's asking me to. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, all right, yeah. So number. Number 10 for me, um, Evil Dead Rise. I, boy, was I thrilled uh, with Evil Dead Rise. I um, I like the 2013 Evil Dead quite a bit, but I, but I think that, like, I've always felt this was a franchise that, like, you could, if you decided, if you got away from the Cabin in the Woods thing, and, like, which is part of the reason I like Army of Dead so much, but th- this was more of, like, a hardcore, like, there's moments of levity, but it is a brutal Evil Dead movie, which I like. Like, I'm more of an Evil Dead than an Evil Dead 2 guy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you feel, but, like, Evil Dead Rise to me just nailed every single thing. I got to see it at South by Southwest at the premiere, which was incredible. Um, it was a movie I saw twice in theaters just to sort of reassure myself, like, did I love it that much? And you bet your ass I did. <laughs> um, I, I, I think Lee Cronin uh, asserted himself instantly as, like, one of our horror filmmakers filmmakers to watch. I think it's amazing that it was able to do all this in such a different setting without Ash, without like the things that, you know, like anchored the series before. I I just, I, I just love it. Like I love there's, I just don't know. Like it's so good. The kills are great. It's gross, practical effects. Like, I don't know. I just like, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, I just, it, it just touched every part of like my horror loving heart and evil dead now is like five for five. Like it's a franchise that like just hasn't really like let out a bad movie, which I think yeah. is pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I was just looking to see if Lee Cronin had any like confirmed upcoming credits and he does not. So I wonder if he's going to try to stay in the Evil Dead universe because the movie was successful enough for him to certainly be able to do that if he if he wanted to, or if he's going to branch back out and do some more horror stuff or, or maybe go into a different genre altogether. Who knows? But I think he's um, got some stuff in development. And I think that my, my, my strong suspicion would be that like if the actor, if the, if the writer strike hadn't happened, he probably would have already had a new project confirmed. Yep. Um, and, and I would not be surprised if that is an Evil Dead movie because Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have both already said some version of, we're not waiting 10 years to put out another Evil Dead movie. Like, it's yeah. going to be hit. So we'll see. But yeah, love Evil Dead Rise. Love Evil Dead Rise. Okay, so hit me with your number nine. This is one that when I saw it, I was like, I liked it. You know, and then I just thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And now, I'd like, as I was looking at the end of the year, I'm like, you know what movie was awesome? It was How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Mm. Um, did you see this movie, Ben? I did, yeah. This is a great pick. It's a, Man, this movie just didn't catch on in the way I hoped it Because it's like... It's you talk about movies that make you feel like anxious, like this movie starts out. It takes a second to sort of develop its premise, but then most of the movie is just like riddled with anxiety over these people trying to execute this plan with the title says it. they're trying to blow up an oil pipeline. And mm-hmm. it is like just this weird band of misfits like who are and it's, you know, very like political movie, obviously, like a very like, uh, you know, it's it, the message is not secretive. Yeah. Um, I, I think my only the reason the only reason that for me this movie didn't rank a little higher is I think the ending is a bit like on the nose. Um, like it's, it, it sort of drives the point home a little too hard. But like, boy, like as like someone who just likes like a thriller and likes like a heist movie and this sort of works as like a reverse type heist movie like it, it is. And just like, again, just like palm sweaty in the theater, like it, it's 
I think it's streaming on Hulu now, if I yeah. remember correctly. But please, I would if of like there's a couple movies on here that I have that like really slipped through the cracks, and this is one that I would really encourage you. Like it's it's like a very like it's like an indie you know, political thriller, but one that plays kind of like a, like a, like a nineties style, like blockbuster esque thriller. Like it really, it really works. as like entertainment with a message. So I, I, yeah. I it's one that grew for me over the year. Yeah. There, there are scenes from that movie that are etched into my brain where like characters are handling combustible materials and like the tension that you're talking yeah. about is so palpable. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you the like scene very that's effective. Sick- uh, without giving too much away, there's a scene where a guy is literally just drinking a beer at a bar. And it is one of the most tense things in the world because of everything that's going on around it. And like, I thought about like the accomplishment of that and like what that, and just like where you're just like on the edge of your seat with a guy with a beer in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just like, I think you know the scene I'm talking about, but yeah, like it's just like, man, it's so please check out how to blow up a pipeline. It, it really, it, I think it deserved a little more than it got this year. Excellent. Okay. What's your number eight? I think this is one that is going to be one of those love-hate ones, and I don't think it ended up on as many top ten lists this year, but I'm going to go with Knock at the Cabin. Um, <laughs> it's one of the first movies I saw in theaters this year, and I, I like Shyamalan a lot because even when he's bad, it's like it's interesting bad, but like this is maybe my favorite Shyamalan movie in 20 years. I loved Knock at the Cabin. I think Dave Bautista, if there was justice in the world, would be in the conversation for Best Supporting Actor. Um, uh, I... I I think this is like his best coming out party as an, as an actor outside of blockbusters to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I think the, it's a performance driven movie. It's, it, it's shot amazingly. Like from the opening scene, it's so compelling. Um, and then it kind of just goes for it. Like, I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen it, but like the end sort of like, I don't know, like he doesn't really pull any punches and it also doesn't get like as weird as some Shyamalan movies do where they sort of lose you a little bit by, by going too far. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, it really worked for me and I know it didn't work for a lot of people, but, um, man, like just, uh, and the kid, I keep forgetting the actor's name, but she's so young, but she does such a great job in that movie. And just, I don't know it. I don't know how you felt about it, but like this, this is the Shyamalan that I love. Yeah, I thought this was like an incredibly well-made movie. Very, very like um, simple premise, like basically like a one location type of thing. I mean, there there are a few more uh, across the the course of the movie, but it's it's very like stripped down and like feels like a back to basics kind of thing for Shyamalan. And I thought he did a, an excellent job with it. I remember thinking like I was really on board with it until the very, very end. But I had a conversation with BJ about it on the podcast, which I encourage people to go back and listen to if you can. Maybe just search for like Slash Film Daily, Knock at the Cabin or something, and maybe you'll find it that way. But um, her uh, her read on what the ending of the movie meant um, sort of unlocked something for me and made me appreciate the movie a lot more. So... Uh, uh, yeah, that, that conversation really is the thing that sticks with me. Yeah. I think what's interesting about, about the movie relative, cause Shyamalan since his very beginning has been all about the twist. Right. And I think, I guess this, this movie came out in February. We talked about it a little bit, like yeah. the twist in this movie is kind of that there's not a twist. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's sort of like, Oh, Oh shit. Like, Oh wow. This really happened. Like, <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know, that for me really, like, I sort of liked that. Like I sort of liked that instead of like taking a left, he just went straight and was like, Nope. This is, you know, and so that worked for me. But um, yeah, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I don't have a lot of profound stuff to say about it. It's a movie that like I'm sure other people who are more deep than me and BJ is one of those wonderful people. Uh, I, I, I'm i a very surface level watcher and the surface of that movie really struck me. So. Excellent. OK, so your number. What is it? Seven now? Is that right? Yeah. So this is a genre of movie that this year I, I've, I've talked about a lot and I joked about a lot, but I actually really mean it is that I really discovered my love for movies about how stuff happened. Um, and, uh, there's a dumb money was another very good example of like, Hey, here's a movie about how a thing happened. Uh, air Ben Affleck's air. Uh, again, again, when I got to see it South by Southwest, love Ben Affleck as a director and just talk about like straight up entertaining. And people talk about like dad movies. This is like the dad movie of all dad movies this year. Um, air stellar ensemble cast Ben Affleck, like right back at it. Like, you know, he hasn't directed a movie in a long time, just crushing it. And he got to direct Matt Damon, which was so cool. And, but like a super entertaining movie about like, it's guys on the phone. Like it's guys on the phone trying to (laughs) cut a deal. It's like in the same way that Oppenheimer's like dudes talking about doing science and it just super duper works. 
um, air, man, like, and, and just the cast he was able to put together, like Viola Davis without like a ton of screen time as like Michael Jordan's mom, but just crushes it because she's Viola Davis and she is perhaps the best living actor, like on the, on the face of the planet. Um, I think a case could be made. Yeah. A case could be made. And, and, you know, like right up there with like Mahershal Ali and some of these guys who are like, you know, right there. But, um, I mean, just, I, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it. Like, again, I'm not like the most profound guy, but like just just scratching that itch for me of like oh man like you know the end result you know they're going to get the shoe deal done mm-hmm. but you're still sitting there like oh my god are they going to make it happen and like he manages to make it like like this fun playful tension and and like you re- really captures this like moment in the 80s and i, yeah, I don't know it, it, it's very cool to have like this movie about michael jordan that's kind of indirectly about michael jordan yeah and have it work so well i i don't know how you felt about it but i love yeah yeah definitely a cool concept and and i thought yeah it was just really fun to see affleck like you know back in the pocket and then also doing a really really playing a really really entertaining character you know in the movie himself you know his his whole look and the vibe and everything like it just seemed like everybody involved with making this movie is having a lot of fun while they're making it. And that fun, you know, translated well, uh, to the, you know, it was emanating off the screen basically. So yeah, for sure. Uh, um, okay. Your number six. This is another one of those ones that I feel like not enough, not nearly enough people saw, uh, but, and, and it's a documentary, uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie. Uh, it's on Apple TV plus again, another one I got to see at South by Southwest, but I mean, just, I don't even, I didn't even think I had nostalgia for Michael J. Fox. And then, like, you see this movie, and and I wrote this thing for us when it came out, and what struck me the most is, like, the title was so specific, and because they really make this, like, a movie, it's almost like a biopic. Mm-hmm. I don't, did you see it? I did, yeah, I saw it at Sundance uh, yeah, last year. It's almost like a, they play it almost like a bio, and, like, it allows Michael J. Fox to be a movie star again. Like yeah. in a, in a fascinating way. And it's just like, I just like, I'm even getting a little warm thinking about it. Like it's so, you don't realize how much you needed that. Like you, you just watch it. And you're like, I didn't know how much I needed to see this. Like one more time. I didn't know how much I needed this guy one more time. And, and it, it, it's just such a like wonderful way to not just tell his story, but to give, to let him be what he used to be again. And, and I don't know. I, I just think it's like, it, it, yes, it's a documentary, but to me, it plays, like I said, more like a very unique biopic. Um, and the the recreations are so cool, too. Like the way that they, you know, yeah. sort of ha- shoot actors from behind, like as him in certain key moments of his life, like all that stuff I thought was just like very elegantly done. Um, it's so theatrical. And so like it, it I don't know who that director like. I, I, yeah, I think whatever, it's, uh, Davis Guggenheim did that one. Yeah, whatever he does next, like I'm like, let's go because like that. I but I just again, like of course I love Back to the Future. Like I'm a blockbuster junkie. Like it's it's the it's right up there with Raiders. Is like this is a perfect movie. But like I just didn't think I felt that way about him until the movie starts. And you're like, oh my god, I love Michael J. Fox. And just yeah. like I don't know. And just man, like what what a and also just what an inspirational guy. Like I mean, like just like for him to still be doing what he's doing and be as active as he is and be as charismatic as he is like having endured what he's endured it's just incredible so yeah so that's streaming on apple tv plus right now if you want to check that out uh all right ryan tell me about your number five uh in a year where i like a lot of other people felt burned by like i felt burned out on superhero stuff guardians of the galaxy volume three came here to remind me nope i love this stuff when it's good um, and, and I just loved Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, uh, like with deep in every fiber of my being, like, like cried straight up, like ugly cried a couple of times, and maybe my favorite scene in any movie this year, uh, the um, hallway fight set to No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Oh uh, yeah, when that started in the movie theater, like there, like when I used to love superhero movies, like I would nothing could make me feel like that. And as soon as that needle drop hit and they're like slow walk, I'm, I'm literally giving myself goosebumps talking about it. And they, <laughs> and they like, and then it's just like, they let the whole song play. And it's just like this amazing fight with all these characters you've come to love. Just like, just destroying this army in this hallway set to like a perfect song. Like, it's just like, yes, this is, this stuff still, nothing is better than this when this stuff is good. And like, and, and yeah, I, and James Gunn managing to like really stick the landing for these characters, even without having to like kill anybody. Like I thought that was really impressive where I didn't feel robbed by like, you know, 
a lack of loss in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, man, like he, what he pulled off. Cause I, I, I like guardians too, but not as much as other people do. So I was a little, I didn't know how, but he, I, for me, like he just stuck the landing so hard. And yeah, uh, if I have any faith in the future of DC, it's because of James Gunn and, and yeah. So yeah, he did a great job there. Uh, okay. Number four. American Fiction, a movie that not nearly enough people have gotten the chance to see yet. Uh, this came out very late last year and has been expanding in more theaters. Um, Jeffrey Wright uh, uh, in a uh, film directed by Cord Jefferson uh, making his feature directorial debut. Um, American Fiction rules. Jeffrey Wright, another one of those guys who like maybe doesn't get enough credit for being one of our best living actors, but this is his best performance to date. He should get a best actor nomination, if not a win. Um, uh, I just stellar, stellar movie, like gut bustingly hilarious, like, but like really poignant, amazing cast. Like it's a difficult sort of like premise to, to get into, but basically Jeffrey Wright plays an author who is mad that his books aren't selling. And like these very like books about like, you know, like what is perceived as black America are selling. And like Issa Rae writes like a very like stereotypical like black experience book and then so he writes a book like under a pseudonym just like trying to almost like write a joke and then it turns into like a big hit Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of the fallout from that but it is so funny so good so unique uh i just like a delight an absolute delight but like a very poignant delight Um, the thing that surprised me about that movie ryan is that like the trailer like the description that you just gave is basically what's in the trailer but the movie itself is only a little bit about that it's much more about like the family drama and the family interaction and dynamic and everything with jeffrey wright's character which i actually like more than the sort of like satirical book world stuff Um, and and that stuff was good too but like i was just surprised because I had no idea that that was going to be a color or a shade of this movie. And it was like the dominant color and dominant shade of the movie. And I was like pleasantly surprised by that. So yeah, what it I ultimately think, is, it's yeah. like a character piece and it uses yeah. that cool premise as like a backdoor to a character piece. And yeah. it's like, and it's like this family led by this man is the character. And like Sterling K Brown is like a hero supporting performances. But again, another guy that I wish acted more because Sterling K Brown's amazing, but um, yeah, just phenomenal. And uh, they managed to convince a bunch of actors to come in and do like these tiny little parts. And, and it makes the movie so much better. Like uh, um, Adam Brody uh, is in there for mm-hmm. a minute and uh, does like a perfect like he know like nobody like I, I imagine when you I, I don't want to spoil it. But when you pitch that role to someone, you're like, OK, you're going to you're going to be like kind of terrible, like but yeah. it's an important role. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so uh, but yeah, so I, I loved American Excellent. Okay, so now it's your number three. Is that right? Yeah, we're in the top three here. Uh, And uh, number three is, again, with like when superhero movies are good. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Nice. Oh, my God. What I I, so when I watched this movie, like I I was like excited about it. Like and I have nostalgia for the Ninja Turtles. And uh, but when you're watching the movie, you're convinced you're watching the your favorite movie of the year. Like it makes you like the now again right up there with the Guardians three. The no diggity fight scene in Mutant Mayhem, like just grinning <laughs> like an idiot the whole time. You're like, yes, this is the Ninja Turtles. Like this is what this should be. And for some reason, for so many of these Ninja Turtles movies, tone has been a gigantic issue. And like this is exactly right. And the animation style, I think it was Mark Bernardin who said it essentially looks like kind of like kids drawing ninja turtles like crayons but mm-hmm. like it sort of plays out like you know i don't know i just i i, I this is to me exa- and that they, they didn't really lean on shredder they leaned on different um villains and they let the teenage mutant ninja turtles be teenagers like what a concept um <laughs> yeah i mean just an utterly perfect movie uh i i i really am so happy that like this is getting a tv show and a sequel like i just hope this I hope this pulls a spider verse where like this movie did okay, but like, I hope the sequel does like infinitely better. Like, I hope this is a movie people catch on to because if you, if you did not like Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, this is the antidote to those movies. Yeah. And this is streaming on Paramount plus right now. And I, I cannot recommend this highly enough. It's so much fun. If you're looking for just like a fun time, uh, not at the movies, but watching a movie, um, uh, mutant mayhem is, is definitely the way to go. So yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Number two, uh, number two and number one, are in like a, 
a, just an absolute wrestling match with one another for different because they they're not the same movies. But uh, number two, uh, uh, Godzilla minus one. Um, if you have if you follow me on Twitter, if you've been on this podcast, if you've if you've allowed me the chance to talk to you for eight seconds in person over the last few weeks, uh, <laughs> I will yell about Godzilla minus one to you. Uh, I am a lifelong Godzilla fan. Uh, I don't talk about it as much as like Star Wars, but Godzilla is in my DNA. Uh, I was very, I, this, we knew we were getting like a Toho Godzilla movie this year and I love Shin Godzilla, the 2016 one. So I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. Little did I know we were going to get like one of the, literally one of the best Godzilla movies of all time. Just a stunning piece of cinema. The best argument ever. One of the best arguments of all time for Godzilla as legitimate cinema. Um, a, a Just a straight up incredible piece. The best human characters in the history of the franchise. Maybe the by best. like a mile, right? Like by like a close. mile. There are there are some movies with good human characters. I'll defend Gareth Edwards' 2014 Godzilla to the death, but but I mean by a country mile. Um, Doc is my maybe my favorite character in a movie this year. I, I wow. Would, I would put him. I would love to see him in the best supporting actor race. It's not going to happen, but like I mean, just. I, you know, it's like you, 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 you hear people say the movie's great and then you go see it and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> like they might've undersold this. Like I've seen it twice now and just like, it, it almost makes me teary eyed how good it is. Like it's so like the fact that something that's been around for 70 years, something you think you've seen every version of, and then you watch something and you're like, holy shit, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I, you've seen, you must have seen this by now, right? Oh yes, yeah, definitely. It's great. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people compare it to Spielberg, right? Like, there's a lot of Jaws in it where they're out in the water, and then there's like a lot of Jurassic Park in it, like that that opening sort of attack yeah. on the beach, um, and you know that that sort of like crowd pleasing, um, bombastic but not over the top uh, action, but like actually investing in the characters and giving you spectacle at the same time, like all of it, it does actually feel a little bit Spielbergian and it's just, it, but also like, not like a, you know, one of those Amblin ripoffs or whatever that we've seen no, so many of. No, um, like this is Spielberg, like his best sensibilities come to. Yeah. Play, and, right? and it's actually like distilled through like a legitimate, um, you know, like a, like an actual Japanese POV. Like there's stuff about the country in there and the people and like the, the um, decisions that they, that they had to make during the war. And like, you know, there's like political stuff in there too. That's actually like gripping. And there's incredible political stuff because it's like just after world war II, like a country is crushed. And like, there's a great scene where like, it's essentially left because of political tensions It's essentially left to civilians to deal with this for like insane reasons. And there's this former army army general who's like, I can't believe I have to ask you guys to do this. And like, and he's just, and like, you know, all the movie is missing to me in that moment. Like there's that scene is incredible, but it just needs like a Bill Pullman independence day speech right there. And the movie is perfect. Like that was literally the only thing where I'm like, Oh, just someone needs to get, cause he gives a decent speech, but you just need like a president Whitmore speech there. And it's like, perfect. <laughs> but anyway, I, I am uh, like waiting with bated breath to get my hands on a 4k of this movie and I will wear it out. Um, I, I love it. Love it. Love it. So. <laughs> okay. So what's your number one then? My number one is a movie again. It can't, it couldn't be more different, but I think the reason this stuck at number one for me is, is again, it is of the genre of, I love a, a movie about how a thing happened and it is a movie. Nobody fucking saw this year. It like, it, it, but it is a Blackberry. Wow. Phenomenal okay. movie. I loved Blackberry. I like more. I was like, oh, I'm interested in this. I when I watched this movie, I was like, this is so like I was blown away by like how much I loved it. Um, career best performances uh, by Glenn Howerton, who people will know from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, uh, he plays uh, a guy named uh, Jim uh, B- Basili, I think is his name, but uh, but he's like a crooked businessman who sees this opportunity and the guys who invented the BlackBerry cell phone. Um, and a guy named Matt Johnson directed it. He also plays uh, one of the co- co-creators of the BlackBerry alongside Jerry J. Baruchel, who is doing like career best stuff here as uh, Mike Lazaridis, who's the guy who like essentially was behind the BlackBerry. And you're watching this. It's, it's like the social network for the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 but, it, but a little bit more irreverent, a little bit more like, like darkly humorous. Um, I don't know. I just, 
uh, it's a movie that deserved so much better than it got. Like it really deserved a better platform. And I think the part of the reason I'm so set on that being my number one is I just like want to shout it from the rooftops that like more people should have seen this movie. And it ended up getting turned into like a three part miniseries. I was going to ask if you saw that. No, I didn't. And what I learned was apparently that was part of the original deal. So my, my original thought was that what happened was that like it, that like they ended up doing that carving it up for parts just because it didn't make any money at the box office. But I guess that was part of the original deal. So they shot a little bit of extra footage and then like, so it wasn't even all that much extra footage and essentially made like three 40 minute episodes out of it. Hmm. So that's on AMC plus, I guess I, I haven't seen that yet, but like I, the movie is so good. I have a hard time recommending the the series. I get like, yeah. I, it works so good as a movie to me, but like, but I, I mean, if you like Moneyball, if you like the social network, if you like movies like that, that sort of document these crazy things and like think about like the invention of the smartphone and and you sort of see like the downfall of BlackBerry as a brand, but also guys that you don't get to see, like really get like meaty performances to chew on. I mean, mm-hmm. just I mean, it, it to me, it, it's the movie I think about the most in terms of just like being annoyed that nobody saw it <laughs> like, yeah. and just because because it was so goddamn good. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I cannot encourage you enough to seek out Blackberry because I imagine, look, look, I talk about this all the time. I am a popcorn movie junkie. Most of the stuff that I see and talk about, it's stuff that everybody sees and talk about. Uh, I'm not going to surprise you with stuff. I don't have any like hot takes on stuff really. Um, this is one of the movies I saw this year that sort of defied that a little bit. And I, and I, and I, if you take anything away from this, if you are like me and are not much of an art house guy and you sort of just like movies as entertainment, please seek out BlackBerry because I promise you it will be worth your time. I love it, Ryan. That's great. That's a great list. And uh, I love the, the, um, the passion of like trying to recommend things that were slept on a little bit over the year. So uh, that, that's wonderful. I hope people take that message to heart. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. You can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.